This is Pastor Matt at North Plinko Baptist Church. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. We hope you guys enjoy. All right, so what we saw last week was kind of an interlude. The six seals are being opened, uh, one right after the other. We have this cascading effect where the first seal obviously impacts what's going on in the next seal. You have... You have uh, a rider coming in on a horse that has a laurel crown instigating political turmoil that leads to war, that leads to famine and pestilence. And it's kind of a natural sequence of things. And then we get to the sixth seal being opened. Death comes in and then bam, we have last week, we looked at uh, this kind of interlude where we're introduced to the 144,000. John is reminded that God is in control. And then we come back to the seventh seal. So kind of like what we said when we first started, there's going to be some hopping around. Uh, one of the questions that naturally comes to mind, how does this vision overlay with the fact that we have seven years of tribulation? Um, and I think it's important to realize that John here is seeing kind of the big picture, and then we're going to go back up and start again. And so we're, we're now the seventh seal, which leads to the seven trumpets and the last, the seventh trumpet then leads to the seven vials. And so each one of these, it kind of kicks off the next thing, but this is all happening across seven and a half years. So John is, I, I, I read a commentator that, that described it as you're getting one view kind of like as a hill, and this writer was writing in the 19th century, said that if you're standing on a train platform and seeing the train going by you, or you're standing on a hill overlooking a railroad track, you're both looking at the same thing, but one of them looks very different than the other, even though logically in your mind you can say, okay, we both at both times I did, I saw the train. Right. We're seeing the view from the hill as we, he breaks it down into seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, we're seeing this overview of this is what's going on. Then we're going to see it from the platform. So uh, as the seventh seal is open, uh, it says uh, in chapter 8, um, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. That's a big deal because what we just ended with uh, was a choir song well and you've seen that all throughout like the context of revelation is everything that goes on every time that we've seen um this this the scenes in heaven there's always crazy loud um really really like these <clears throat> huge expressions of worship and then now that it's uh when while it may be just uh it may just be 30 minutes um or whatever it is the, the fact that there is this this almost deafening silence for a second seems like hey something something's up like last night i was talking to students about it i was like okay can i use the example of uh last year it was it was really strange like it was the first football game that i'd come to after working here uh and coming to work here we're playing at the high school and in that second play william goes down which is pastor tom's son and eli uh, Donna's son are both down the same play. And in, the, in that moment, which it really was probably about 15, 20 minutes, whatever, it seemed like a, about a year and a half between by the time Eli gets picked up and walks off, by the time the ambulance comes and gets William, which both of them are okay now. Uh, <laughs> yes. just, just so it's saying. But in a second, it was like everything is, is intense and you're playing a county rival. And then it's like, bam, 
complete deafening silence. And like, that was one of the only things that I feel like I could, that's like, oh, okay, like this is something's up. Like when it goes from all of, all of what's happened in heaven to immediate silence for a second, okay, something, something's, something's up here. Something's weird. Yeah. So, and I think that is a great analogy that, that sense in football stands when, you know, 30 seconds before there's cowbells, everybody's yeah. screaming and who hurt somebody. And then when somebody actually does get hurt, there's <laughs> silence. Uh, and it, people have this awkward feeling. And yeah. even when people do talk, it's in this hushed tone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a great, great, great way to look at it. In fact, in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm six, uh, 76, 8 through 9 says, From the heavens you uttered judgment, the earth feared and was still. And when God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble on the earth, Selah. And so this idea of things being still and quiet are anticipating that God's judgment is about to fall. All of creation is going, oh, oh, we're about to get real. Well, silence is so unnatural for us. Like it's, it's, it's such a weird thing. Like even this morning I was trying to finish some sermon prep for Wednesday and for the next Wednesday and try to, you know, finish some stuff together. And I took about probably two hours where I just shut my phone off because I just, it just seemed like everything this morning was just, I was in text or phone calls or Snapchat or streaks or whatever. And it's like, Hey, look, I just need a second. And like, I just shut my phone off for a minute because it was just like, I just, like, I just needed a second. But in that same time, like I knew that second, but I'm sitting there catching myself. like, man, silence is so unnatural to our culture and to everything about me. And every, and again, like we said, every time we see there's some sort of silence, it's creepy. It's weird. Uh, it's like anytime you, anytime you're in a building and it's just quiet. Guess what? You get, you get a little, get a little right. weird. You get a little, you get a little chill down your spine or whatever because something's weird going to happen. Like when things are silent in a scary movie, guess what? Someone's about to get axe murdered. And it's just <laughs> like that's just how, that's just how it works. It's just not natural for us. Absolutely. In fact, I read somewhere that there's a. Uh, a lab that they have used acoustic deadening equipment to to make it it's the quietest place on earth mm. that sound cannot move in there and that they have found that that if a person is in that room for longer than, than just a couple of minutes that it, you, they literally start to hallucinate sounds because our mind starts to make sounds up going yeah. All right, this isn't right yeah, this is not this is not it uh and so uh, it's just jarring that we go from this song, you know, you've got the 144,000 and, and after I looked, I saw a great multitude that no one could number and they're all singing and they're worshiping God and they're falling on their face and the, the, they're, 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 everything's loud. All of a sudden this seal is broken and then for an hour there's silence. Mm. Um, should be jarring to us. It should get our attention that what's about to happen uh, is, is super important. And so it says that... Um, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stood before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. So what we say, see is that the seventh seal ushers in these seven trumpets. And so we're going to, for the next couple of chapters, we're going to look at the, the seven trumpet yep. judgments. But I, I want you to understand, in fact, uh, on the notes, if you go to the website, you can download. I am uh, using Clarence Larkin's um, little little drawing. He was a draftsman who, who did a lot of, of uh, drawings. Some of the theology is questionable, but his drawings are really helped me understand it. Uh, and so the seventh seal, you have the... Uh, Open, opening this seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet opens the seven vials, and to show that they're not uh, overlapping. There's some commentators that try to say the seven seals and the seven trumpets are overlapping each other, but mm-hmm. the, the text won't allow that. So the seven angels are given seven trumpets, and then we see 
another angel come and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So let's take take each bit of each piece of this. Uh, <clears throat> in the temp- tabernacle and the temple, there were two altars. There was one, an altar of incense that burned day and night, and then there was the altar for sacrifice. Um, the altar of incense throughout the Bible, we're told, uh, is showing that the prayers of the saints are coming up before God. And so I, I think it's really important that we kind of pause as we look eschatologically at stuff for us to, to note that here that John is drawing our attention to the fact that prayers do not ever go wasted. They are coming up before the throne of God. And one of the reasons why that's important, um, I remember here in this church, uh, we had a little girl that was was sick. Uh, she had had uh, cancer. All the kids were praying, uh, and the, in their childlike faith, they fully expected that God was going to answer that prayer. Uh, they fully expected that okay, she's going to get better. And I I remember even going to some events and. Uh, going to the elementary school and seeing in their faith this expectation of God to do something and then talking to a group of adults and their expectation was, well, this girl's going to die. Mm-hmm. At this point, we know the doctors have said there's no point in fighting. Um, and I remember kids coming to me after she passed with this question of, well, w- why did God not heal her? And I think it's important for us to re- realize and recognize that uh, we don't see the whole picture. And I, it's a trite analogy, but it, it, it's an apt one that my kids, as we, they would have some kids that would go to Disney World or uh, they, they would have some friends that would go do something like that. And they would be like, well, let's go. Why don't we as a family go to Disney World? And as their parent, I knew uh, a little bit more about our f- personal finances, and I knew, okay, we got a choice here. <laughs> we can eat for the next month. We can pay the mortgage so that we have a home to live in so that you have have a place, or we could take that money and go to Disney World. I'm going to make the decision to go with, uh, with us eating. I understood the big picture. I understood what was best for them, and so I, as their father, made a decision that, yeah, they would have a good time at Disney World. I know that they would enjoy it or whatever, whatever. But we as a family can't make that call. Okay, so we understand that, that that as adults, you know, if your kid comes in and says, why do we? I remember one time one of my kids, Ann, was driving kind of a hoopty van. And one of, one of the kids said, why don't you just trade it for something new? They had heard that term trade. And so they thought... Yeah, that's not how it works, baby. You so it's like a, you mean you trade you trade your little Debbie cake for like a juice box or something. Lunch sure, table. like that just makes sense. Yeah, why don't you just take your car to the dealership and you give them this hoopty piece of junk car and then take and a new get, one and they give you another one. Like that's how it works. But we understood that again. We had to provide clothes for those kids <laughs> and food. Our father not only knows our our needs here on earth, he sees the big picture of how everything across human history interlinks, he can understand what's best for 
the a family and a person and the society and all of that he's put together and i believe that the whole purpose of human history is to bring the maximum amount of glory to him and so oftentimes we pray asking god for something and it's not what's best for us and it's certainly what's not best for his plan and so the answer is no mm-hmm. naturally for us that feels like god's not hearing us oh well, god well why does the uh, we get automatically, and again, we've, and we've almost said this, it's almost come up every week, is because it always goes back to, well, God must not be as good as he says he is. Because, and because that, that's always something that people struggle with. There's a, or the whole, you know, bad things to good people and good things to bad people and all of that, that whole thing of we, now we start questioning how good the Father actually is. Uh, when, our, when the reality is, well, our definition of good for me right now is not necessarily God's definition of good for my eternity and for my well-being. It's not necessarily the same thing because what I want is what I want right now. And what God wants for me is what God wants for right now and for my eternity and for what's to come. And I, don't, I can't see the latter part of that. Uh, and so then, my, then we all get you know, up in our feelings about, well, God's not as good as he says he is. And, and it, it's natural for us to think that if God really loved me and he saw me in this situation, surely he would deal with this the way I want him to. Yeah. And that, that is a very uh, myopic view of, of our existence that's only us-centric, A, and B, it, it it misses so much of the big picture. I mean, we've all had prayer requests that the worst possible thing that could have happened to us is for God to have answered that prayer. Well, I, I remember. I mean, Garth Brooks even has a song. <laughs> I thank God for unanswered prayers. I remember uh, with this in a student ministry, I was teaching through Jonah one time, and everybody knows Jonah the well and all those things. And but then Jonah remember, was a prophet. Jonah, yeah, <laughs> I love that. It's a good song. Uh, but then the, la- the latter part of that, when uh, there are people of Nineveh repent, and Jonah's like. God, what, what, like, what is this? Like, I kind of like they, sh- they all like they need to die. Like, and that's like these people. Why are they are why subjugating are, my my like, people? Yeah, like what? Why are they not dead? And it's and Jonah's like gets all up in arms and gets upset because everybody didn't get wiped off the face of the planet like he thought they should. <laughs> and it's crazy. Hey, God's a real forgiving and loving God, and Jonah that made Jonah mad. Uh, and so I think of that aspect of the story of Jonah and think about man, how many times in my heart is like, you know what, God. You've probably, you know, if you just done it this way, it's like it's like I'm talking, it's like I'm sitting in the stands telling you know, like God, the junior high football coach, I should have done it. Like, it's right. like, hey, hey, God, if you'd have run this, like, absolutely, you, yeah, you need to see the opening here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what are you doing? You know? And and even further than that, C.S. Lewis points out how the enemy's naturally going to whisper in our ear if God doesn't answer the prayer the way we want it to. We say, well, God clearly isn't powerful enough to, to do things the way I want him to. Which was his very first tactic. And, 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 oh, absolutely. Which is his very first tactic. And Did God seems, say? Seems to, <laughs> he's sticking to his guns kind of thing. But on the flip side of that, here's how the enemy can attack when God does answer the prayer we, 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 the way that we think he should. If, if someone is diagnosed with an illness and I pray, God, I need you to heal him or her. They go to the doctor, they get some medicine and they're healed. I can logically put together the events that God used to heal them and think, well, they would have gotten better if I'd prayed or not. Mm-hmm. And so our smallish view of our existence inhibits our belief in God in both directions. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, let's just be straight here. Let's be real. There are times when as Christians, um, 
we feel like our, our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Oh, yeah. Am I really buying that there's some super being in the sky that it cares about me? Well, and I think part of that, and, and it could be from a ministry standpoint, from a job standpoint, it's like, you know what, like on those really tough, really bad days, it's like, man, like this, this whole God thing, like it was just... They're living. This, these are the people living this way, and man, it's just man, this just seems like it's for the birds. And like, and, and like, realistically speaking, and honestly speaking, everybody and or every believer in every walk of life has had those days, and it's it's hard, it's tough, it's not easy. Ricky Gervais, who is the comedian who uh, is so in your face with his atheism, but it's it's very funny. I, I like Ricky Gervais's comedy. <laughs> um, he has a thing that he likes to say. That when you pray to God, you're praying to the God that watched the Holocaust happen. So you really think he's going to help you find your keys? Yeah. And so he thinks he's being really smart and really urbane with that observation. But what that is doing is that is lowering God to a human level. Why God allowed the Holocaust to happen, I, I don't know. And I think anybody, it's a fool's errand for us to try to sit here and go, well, well God used it for this or that or, or this thing. The fact that God did allow it to happen is obvious. It's a historic fact. Mm -hmm. In human history, there have probably been thousands, if not millions, of incidences that we as humans would look at and go, that's horrible. Why did God allow that to happen? Yeah. Um, but to suggest that because of that, um, God doesn't hear or God doesn't recognize or God doesn't see, I think is if we, if we believe God's word is undermined by this because this text shows us that all the prayers of the saints are not wasted. Mm -hmm. So there are times, like we said, when every believer feels like, okay, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. God does not care. God, who's got everything in the universe to manage, is not looking at little me in Gadsden, Alabama, and caring that I'm praying to, for him to help me find my keys. Yeah. And In fact, sometimes, and I will say, there have been times when I, I, I remember very well working on William's car, not be, there was a particular bolt we could not get the ratchet on the bolt mm -hmm. and you know you're you're two hours into this trying to find an angle or you you get the the socket on the bolt and then now you can't turn it because there's something in the way and super frustrating and so i walked in the house and i'm sure i was slamming around like a three-year-old and said well have you prayed about it and i'm like no i haven't prayed about it really you think that god's in heaven going you know i'm just waiting on you to ask me and so she's like well you should pray about it and i'm like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard why am i going to pray about this i'm the one that's trying to figure out how to do thinking the thinking bolt it's a bolt god does not care uh and so just to pacify her i'm like literally in the kitchen said lord help me get this bolt off that simple of a prayer, literally out loud, really is a way to mock her more than anything. <laughs> Walked out, and William's like, I got it. And I'm like, no, you don't. And sure enough, he had figured out a way to come in from the firewall, this crazy ankle, and we got the bolt off. And I'm like, okay, God, um, I, I don't know what you're trying to teach me. I feel stupid all the way around here. <laughs> God does care about the insignificant things in our lives. Jesus uses the example of a bird that costs two pennies and said, God knows. Okay, if you really think that God's too busy to listen to you, you've got a really weak view of God because God's all-knowing and all-powerful, so it's not like he's busy. Yeah. That's bringing God, again, down and humanizing him, and God is not in heaven going, okay, right now I'm trying to keep these electrons together. Give me a sec. I'll get to it. 
um, don't do that to God and recognize that as you have requests, um, God is not going, God has never in my life worked things out the way I wanted him to. And I thank God that he doesn't, um, recognize that he is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He knows he has called us to pray, which leads us to the question, why, if God is omnipotent, omnipresent and omniscient, why does he want us to pray? He already knows. He already knows that this person I'm praying to get saved is lost. And he knows that it is not, it is not God's will that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. He knows that I need to get that bolt off. Why does he want us to pray? And I think that if you think about this for a minute, it becomes really clear when we look at that father-child relationship. I, I've used the example from the pulpit before of a specific incident where um, I, I went to this church. I was a pastor of a church, and the way the kind of the cycle was on Sunday mornings I preached, and on Sunday nights we had what we called rewind, and uh, it was a, literally a meal. We would all eat, and because Baptist church we have to eat, and we would talk through the sermon. It allowed me to bring some of the stuff in uh, that that maybe. I didn't go into depth in. It, it, it allowed people to ask questions, those sorts of things. And so we were getting ready for re rewind. Molly, my, my daughter at the time, was probably four. For this particular night, I was going to make sausage balls. And um, she had decided, and we're, we're si I'm sitting at a table with like 20 other people in the room, and I, I just want to make the sausage balls. I don't know if you ever made sausage balls. It's a super easy recipe. Put a pound of cheddar cheese, a pound of sausage, and then you put bisquick in until it's ripe. And so you shake the bisquick in and you mix it up and you got to get your hands all in it and it's gooey. Uh, and so this is perfect for a four, four-year-old the one to get it. So Molly's like, can I help? I want to help. So I'm like, sure, fine, come help. So she's sticking her hands in it. She's squeezing it and, and we're putting more bisquick in. And she's getting bisquick everywhere. There's literally people down the table from me with like this little old lady with like bisquick on, in her hair <laughs> because Molly's getting it everywhere. Um, it wasn't easier because she helped at all. It made it much more difficult because she's dumping half the stuff, ingredients out on the floor. So Molly is making a huge mess. Uh, she's not being helpful at all. It's not something that I wanted to happen. At this point, I'm frustrated with her. Uh, we, we, we make the balls. We put them in the oven. And then once uh, the sausage balls came out, she literally, this four-year-old, walked around the church. And everybody that came in, she wanted to give one of those sausage balls. Why? Because she, she helped. She participated in what I was doing. Uh, and as a father, I just, you know, swelled with pride. That's so cute, you know, and taking pictures, and that's sweet. That's exactly what's going on with prayer. Okay, we don't help God. God doesn't need us. But by calling us to prayer, that's allowing us to participate in his plan. I'm not saying that, that our prayers don't have an impact and that— we, what I am saying is, is that God has planned our praying into his plan. He's big enough to where before the foundation of the earth, as he put his plan together, he incorporated the fact that he was going to call us as believers to pray so that when we get to heaven, we can say just like Molly did with the stupid sausage balls, here's the sausage balls. I help make these. We're going to get rewards we don't deserve any of those rewards because God gave us the grace to be able to do any of the stuff that we did. But we can participate in the, what God is doing. We can throw those crowns at his feet and say, Daddy, I helped. And so 
Uh, that is an act. God calling us to pray is an act of love. It is not, all right, you need to pray. Oh, gosh, I got to pray. I got it on my to-do list. Got an alarm that goes off. You need to pray now. This is us being able to, with joy, come along beside the Father as he has an impact on the world. We saw last chapter, the Great Commission will be fulfilled. Whether you and I were born, the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled. Him calling us to prayer, calling us to evangelism, calling us to being missional is allowing us to participate in what he's going to do. So on one hand, I want you, believer, to understand that prayer is an act, calling us to prayer is an act of love on God's part. Second of all, God holds the prayers of the saints as something precious. We see here in Revelation chapter 8 that he, it's, it's like, a, um, like a mom's scrapbook. These are the prayers that my children prayed. They are before the throne. God loves when we call out to him. It's like a sweet fragrance that's rising up before him like smoke. He sees it. He is brought joy because of it. So if we get nothing else out of Revelation 8, because we're about to get into some destruction and, and, and fire and brimstone, recognize the one thing that I walked away from Revelation 8 with is, Oh, well, I'm such a loser for not praying the way I should. <laughs> okay, so the prayers are there. The prayers are taken up in a censer, which is Baptist. We don't, we don't use a whole lot in our service. Yeah. So as we get into the destruction, as we get into the, uh, the rest of Revelation 8, we see the angel picking up a censer. Now, uh, censers aren't something that's used a lot in Baptist worship or in evangelical worship. So uh, a censer is, uh, you've all seen this on TV. We've seen this on TV. Yeah. It's like a brass or, or bronze or gold uh, bowl that's got chains on it, and the person walks down the aisle, and they swing it back and forth. And the, It's really the first essential oil diffuser. <laughs> It's putting that smell out. So this angel takes some stuff from the, uh, the altar, puts it in the bowl, throws this to earth, and we have uh, all kinds of stuff goes on. It says, um, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the silence is broken with lots of loud booms. Yeah. Now, I want to pause here because if you want to go read multiple commentaries from across the last 2,000 years that commentaries have been written, it's interesting to me that, okay, so in uh, 1988, if you read Hal Lindsey, he's got, uh, in the late great planet Earth, he takes from here, the sensor falling to Earth, he says, is a nuclear strike. Okay. Everything that follows from the rest of the seven trumpets are nuclear fallout, atmospheric issues, um, and I guess that's plausible. Okay, so there's logic there. There's some logic there. I've read commentators that uh, felt like this was probably a meteor strike. Yeah, that something comes from heaven, hits the earth, the dust kicked up, while meteor hitting at a fault line, causing volcanoes, causing earthquakes. Uh, that's plausible. Uh, recently, there's a, a commentary that was published recently that has this whole, all of these, because they're cascading, they're clearly tied to each other, uh, has it tied to um, environmental disaster. Right. That, that you know, the, we, we've destroyed the earth because we, we throw trash out the window. And, and I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. We should definitely, God has given us dominion over the earth, and we should take care of it. But 
what I am saying is, is that we need to be careful that we don't bring our fears, our cultural ideas, and apply them to Scripture, that what we take, we, we don't do isogesis, we do exegesis. We pull from Scripture. The text doesn't say what the cause is. It says that, A, God's in control. Yeah. He, he's commanded an angel to do it. An angel does it, and then everything's going to follow. So the first angel, uh, so we have this censer filled with the prayers of the saints, comes to the earth that kicks everything off. There's uh, peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of light, earthquake, exactly what we saw at Sinai, mm -hmm. exactly what we saw at the resurrection. This is pretty common for the way God announces that, hey, this is me. Yeah. Seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. First angel blows his trumpet, and there followed hail, fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. So let, let's just walk through that. So you have hail and fire falling to the earth. Whatever the first cause is, whether it's a meteor, whether it's nuclear strike, is immaterial. The result of that is uh, large hailstones, fire. Now, blood could could be literal blood. I don't know. God God could easily do that. I, if a meteor strike, thousands of critters get blown up, including humans. And yeah, I'd say yeah, a lot of that was that that might have been where you know, the whole mix of blood was because this is going to represent. This is going to. I mean, wherever this is, this is going to have some sort of explosion type impact kind of thing and. People, there's probably going to be some sort of loss of life just from a logical standpoint of thinking how this may or may not go down. Remember from our very, very first conversation talking about poetic language, uh, we're going to see a lot of, of, of simile, poetic language that's being used. And in English, we, we use blood all the time to, as a description of something. I, I remember uh, being at the beach, and the last time that I, I went – a couple of times ago when I went to the beach, on the fridge was a warning that there was a blood tide because there's a, there a particular type of algae that when, uh, when oxygen levels get to a certain point, it turns the water red. It's called a blood tide. doesn't mean that the water is filled with actual, literal red blood cells, white blood cells. Right. Uh, it could be that. It could be the word that's used here for blood is blood. Um, <laughs> So, it, like you said, it could be loss of life, and there's there's stuff falling down. I, I've read before um, that apparently it's not really uncommon in the human experience for a person to be walking down the street and all of a sudden haddock fall from the sky because some tornado over the ocean pulled millions of haddock up into the upper atmosphere, and so some dude is walking down the street in London and gets hit in the head with a haddock. <laughs> there. It could be something like that, that, that this meteor hits the ocean, all kinds of sea life is thrown in the upper atmosphere. It travels around. Uh, I, I don't know. Let's, let's let the text say what it says. And it says, hail, um, uh, hail, fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. The result of that is massive. A third of the earth is burned up. A third of the trees are burned up. And all the green grass is burned. All the green grass is burned. All of up. it. And so here you have a huge um, ecological response or result of the sensor being thrown to the ground and the trumpet being blown. Yeah, and this is just the beginning. And, and one of the guys that I was uh, looking at while studying this for our students was, so let's just think about the ramifications of this. 
um, let's, and he, the first one he went to was, okay, so uh, free grazing animals, okay? If there's, and we've already looked at some of the other things. There's going to be some sort of, of, of famine and scarcity that's going on in, in all of this. This is very, I mean, if there's no grass to graze on, guess what? What's your cow's going to do? What's your free exactly. grazing animals going to do? Like these kind of these kind of uh, realistic uh, ramifications that are going to happen because of things that happen. And this is just the beginning. Like we're, we're just one trumpet in and it gets like increasingly, incredibly worse. Uh, but thinking of some of those like real life things that are going to be severely impacted and will just, that was just going to roll right on top of the things that we've already seen that are going to happen. If there's, if there's no grass and things like that to, to graze on and to feed, then, I mean, there's a lot of your, your, a lot of your free grazing animals and things like that. I mean, like that doesn't leave them a a whole lot of hope. So there's more into the scarcity and famine type thing going on here. Absolutely. And and just the impact on the, the ecological food chain yeah i mean you've got antelopes and and gazelle and everything that's feeding on the grass mm-hmm. that's then eaten by hyenas and lions and tigers and bears oh my yeah so all of that is going to be impacted a third a third i mean just think about a third of the earth is burnt up immediately so immediately we have one third of the earth gone Burn up, destroyed, I mean, and even, again in that, if if we're talking about again the famine and scarcity thing, you ever, I mean, you ever tried to do anything with burnt ground? That's that's not. I mean, that's tough. It is. Like you still see, you see houses that are burned down, and it's tough to go back and build on burnt ground, even if you're just building a house. Why? Because it's that ground's just not good. It's not good anymore. It's not rich. Does it hold anything? It's just not good. And so, let alone if you're trying to if you're trying to farm or to to have a garden or plant or anything on burnt ground, a third of the earth, like this, just causes a lot of issues. Third of trees are gone, so CO two levels are going to rise. Absolutely. Um, it's bad news. So. Second angel blows his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, and here we have a simile, something like, so not necessarily a mountain, but something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures on the sea died, and a third of the ships are destroyed. So we've seen, in in my lifetime, uh, tsunamis. Mm -hmm. So we get what he's saying here. So something like a great mountain is thrown into the sea, Immediately, there's going to be this huge roaring wave that goes across. Right. Um, we, a third of the ships being lost doesn't seem shocking at all. If yeah, you've got, well. I mean, you've got a tsunami that's rolling across. If you're a little boat floating on it, no matter how big a boat it is, it feels small. Yeah. I mean, I, I have been on. I, I, once when I was in the Marine Corps, we got on this aircraft carrier. Uh, we were simulating naval gunfire. And this thing is, it, it's just awe-inspiring how huge an aircraft carrier is compared to a human being. Yeah. And then you see, I've seen pictures, and you have two on the internet, of how small an aircraft carrier looks in the middle of the South Atlantic. <laughs> and so no matter how big a ship it is, when a tsunami comes rushing, it's a little bitty. It's like a toy boat in a bathtub. Yeah, and from the ship's thing, again, commerce here is affected. Uh, uh War, I mean, things of, of, of military prowess in countries are that those things, I mean, those things are affected. Like all of, there's just a lot of, as you look at these, this is one of the things that I like talking to with our students was, okay, let's think about the things that we can grasp, that we can understand of the things that are affected if something like this happens. And we try to look at the conditions of our earth after each one of these trumpets. And uh, one of the things that we lo- looked at was like in the, with the sea life being killed, 
it was looking at how the O2 levels will go down because and one of the things that I'd looked at, one of the articles and stuff, is like uh, plankton in the ocean because it's just, there's just so much of it. puts out like a really high percentage of O2 levels uh, from the ocean because it's essentially, you know, like plants in the water. Like that's just kind of – it puts off like 50-some-odd sure. percent of, of O2 levels. And so if a third of that is gone, O2 levels are down, which means – there's less oxygen for us to breathe. And we've already had a third of the trees die. Yeah, so think of CO2 out. Right. So think of the CO2 that's out. Think of there's a lack of oxygen. I mean, it's just so. And then when you do breathe in, you're breathing in. You know, if there's sea life that's killed, guess what? There's probably going to be, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been around dead fish. It don't smell great. Oh, yeah. And so if we're thinking about like sea life that's now dead and there's less oxygen, like well, now we're thinking of every time we're, we're struggling to breathe, it's getting tougher. When we are breathing in, there's the stench of death and blood and all these things that we're like, it's just not good. Yes, it's it, so, um, yeah, and and the idea of you know right now the fact that I can get online on Amazon and buy something from China, yeah, and expect that it's going to be here in a month, is gone. No, yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. So a third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blows his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters become Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it has been made bitter. Uh, here we have fresh water that's being affected. So you have, so you already had a mountain thrown into the sea. Now we've got a, a meteor. Again, we don't know. It's something like a great star that falls from heaven. Again, don't, don't try to read too much into this in that I think it's this, I think it's that. Because you may be right. Right, and you don't really want to get caught up on what it doesn't say when we can really put a lot more impact on, okay, this is what's clear and what is here to be said. So it, it, it what it does do and what we know it does is the fresh water on earth becomes bitter, which is has an impact on everything. Oh, for sure. Um, there's a there's a rule of threes that that in any kind of survival scenario you're taught you, a human being can go three minutes without oxygen, mm -hmm. three I'm trying to get this right three hours without shelter and what that means is if you're in a harsh environment you you got to build shelter shelter right. your priority three days without water or three weeks without food mm -hmm. if any of those aren't met you die right and so water is one of the things that. Uh, human beings and animals and 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 require we're we're what 98 percent water i mean if we yeah. we just had you drink an extra liter of water and you're just gonna splash out of here <laughs> so that this is bad 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 so we've already had two billion people on earth who died right and then now water is going to become scarce which it doesn't take long um you know, I think I shared in the one of the first ones that go, going to Haiti right after the earthquake when food became scarce. It didn't take long for a modern, you know, everybody's got a cell phone. There's malls, society with no food to break down into absolute chaos. That happens even faster if people can't access fresh water. Yeah, well, we, I, mean, I think I said this in response to that is when one of those basic necessities is not met, Everything else in your mind becomes trivial until said necessity is has become met, either for you or the people that you love and are in charge of or care for. And so that will push people to crazy. That's going to push people to crazy limits. Both uh, physically, you're going to do some. You're going to, have to struggle with some things mentally. Like there's just going to be a lot of battles going on there uh, that are going to be really difficult for uh, for the cultures here. And so. 
Um, now, with the third of, of the fresh water gone, the fourth angel blows his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night. So, with all of this stuff that's going on where you've got a, a, a mountain burning, thrown into the sea, wormwood coming in, burning, um, it's natural to suspect that there's going to be enough junk kicked up in the atmosphere that it's going to have a massive impact on the amount of light, whether from stars or moon or the sun, that can reach the earth. Uh, in the 19th century, when Krakatoa, a volcano in the South Pacific, went off, uh, Europe experienced what they has writers called a year without a summer. It never got over like in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, crops failed. There was there was lots of, of uh, famine that resulted. People didn't know why that happened because we didn't have the news that we could see that this volcano had gone off in the South Pacific. Right. Um, all they knew was is that for some reason it, everything on earth was hazy. Uh, even in, in the American South, um, I, I had read a story uh, in, this, in this time frame of a, of a planter in Virginia not being able to dig a grave, but the temperature was low enough in their house that they kept the body under the stairs because it was just cold all year. Yeah. Uh, so it's logical to suspect that with meteors or, or this mountain going in the sea, that there's enough atmospheric interference that only two-thirds of the sunlight's now making it to Earth. Well, and again, environmentally speaking, if we see uh, the sun affected here, the moon affected, the stars affected, okay, sun and moon produce light and energy. Light and energy, we're going to move into O2. So now O2 levels, again, are even more affected. It's more, it's tougher to breathe. If we want things to grow and have crops and such, guess what? You need sunlight and energy and things to make those things happen. So guess what's not happening? We have, we left, we have less things to produce and to grow and to reap and things like that. It's like all of these things are just building and building and building on top of each other for a really, really, really tough way of life during this time. Absolutely. In fact, um, after the fourth angel blows his trumpet, an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, at the blast of the other trumpets and to the three angels who are about to blow. We've seen all this destruction and this chapter ends with an eagle in the sky going, Dude, this sucks. Yeah. Well, and I'd seen some translations. This was kind of a point of, of some people saying, oh, you know, some translations say this is an eagle. Some translations say that it's an angel. And it's like uh, one of the things in Re that like kind of antithetical revelation commenta commentators would say is like, oh, well, this is a contradiction. This is a red flag. It's like, well... Not really, because the word that and I looked at, I've looked at it. The Greek word is eagle here, but if we go back in the fourth chapter where we first started, there's an angel. That's an eagle, right. like that has the face like an eagle, and so John's using the same language that he has used before to say there's one that had that had the appearance of an eagle. We see that it's not a contradiction. It's not a contra It's not a contradictory statement here. He sees an. He says eagle because he saw an eagle, just right. like earlier he had seen an eagle, and so we see this happen. And that was one thing that uh, I don't remember exactly what translations say angel, but there's a few pretty popular translations. I want to say NIV and some other maybe no King James and New King James. I think maybe they it says angel. Uh, but when the when the when the word that, that John uses is the same one he used in Revelation four, which is eagle. 
And so that was something that we talked about last night with our students of, uh, because they, for some reason, they're always big on the, oh, this is the contradiction. Like they always will come up, oh, well, this person said this is a contradiction. I don't, and I don't know if that's, I think that's just our culture, like my generation and culture want to, want, always wants to see and know the why behind things. Sure. And uh, I think that's kind of that. They're always big on, oh, well, what about this? Or what about the, like I remember when, we, when I first got to the church we do, and we were doing Fight Club and you were answering the most questions, it was, oh, what about these left out, these left out passages and some things? They wanted to talk about those well, let's things. Let's talk about the hidden books yeah. of the Bible. <laughs> Um, but this was one that I said, oh, this is a contradiction because some say angel, some say eagle. Well, it's, it's both. It's an eagle that's an angel because he refer- John references that earlier in the book. So it's the same thing. Well, and um, e- even in some modern commentaries, they, they try to say, okay, this is a satellite that's named eagle, and John didn't know what he was looking at. <laughs> um, and, and ultimately, it comes back to who, who cares the, the well, and again, I could see logic in that, but he already used eagle to describe an angel earlier. Like it's like if you've read the book, you can see like, okay, this is this is the second time he's made he's seen this something like this or this particular thing. Now that we don't see, but something like an something like an angel, it looks like an eagle. Like we've already seen that once. Right. That's what's going down here. So what what the the import we can walk away from this is is if I'm going through, and we've all been there where we're we're just having a rough day. Yeah. You get up in the morning, car didn't crank. You you finally get away to get to work. You get to work, your your computer crashes, and you get to points where you're kind of thinking to yourself, "Okay, I can't take anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'm done here. Let's let no more." And this angel eagle is saying, "We aren't even close to being done." Yeah, this is whoa, whoa, whoa. We get into the demon hordes, and we talked about that from the very get go. That hey, coming up, it's. <laughs> You think it's bad now? It's bad to get all kinds of ugly and backwards. So you just think it's bad. Yeah. Uh, the difference between a stump toe and losing your foot. Yeah. <laughs> None of which are good. Yeah. One is significantly worse. Yes. Yeah. So if I got to pick between the two, I really don't want either. I, I would like none, but we'll take option A. <laughs> so th- this uh, this angel is warning the earth, and again we see. A, God is in control. Mm-hmm. B, that humanity has stored up during this age of grace wrath upon wrath upon wrath. And once the kettle gets tipped, we don't want it. No, no, thank you. And, and over and over and over again, as we come back to this question, um, why is evil allowed to exist on the earth? I, I think that Revelation answers that swimmingly in that once we see humanity actually getting what it deserves for the way that it acts i'm starting already to go god let us up well it's and we talked about that earlier about how we start to question the goodness of the father but we look at this and it's like hold on hold on because he actually is really good to not give us what we deserve because i don't want any of this like because again like we've said before i am also part of that bad that's in the world everything about me is bad and i don't i don't want i don't want any of this and so i'm thankful for the goodness of the father for the grace of the father because i would like no part of this absolutely absolutely and so um i think we can end this by saying that uh, the woes, and, and again, there's a prophetic, that uh, w- the utterance of a woe, we talked about when we talked about Isaiah calling a woe onto himself, yeah. being a suicidal statement, that this, this angel proclaiming a woe on the earth is a prophetic utterance that is saying destruction like you've never imagined is about to fall. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to the listener, I would say, 
examine yourself daily to ensure that you're in the faith. You don't want to be here. Call in the name of the Lord today and be saved. All right, go serve your king. Thank you guys again for joining us on this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. You can join us live in person each Sunday at North Linko Baptist Church at 10 a.m., or you can go to our website, northlinko.org, to watch our live stream or check out our other podcasts, ministry information, past sermons, and past worship service. Thank you guys for tuning in.